Chad Prather is a comedian, musician, and host of the Chad Prather Show on Blaze TV. His book, Am I Crazy? An Unapologetic Patriot Takes on the Insanity of Today's Woke World is available everywhere now. The Chad of Chads joins me now. Chad Prather, how are you? I'm doing good, man. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Hope all is well. Thank you. You too. Love the relationship we've built with Blaze TV. Your book, Am I Crazy? I have it right here. It's not your typical book. I was looking through it the last couple of days. It's a book of rants that are all a couple pages long. So I thought it was really unique, very digestible. And some of the rants include that I wrote down Trump derangement syndrome, 16 year old voters, the Peloton bike rant, which I want to touch on. But what inspired you to do this sort of format and write this book? So what I did is I, I took some things, you know, if people are reading through it, they may even, there's some things that I said or ranted on, you know, maybe a year and a half ago. And they were things that people say, well, that's not relevant. Like Trump's not still president or whatever. I kind of walk you through the principles that were of, of the stories that were going on at the time, but the, the principles remain the same. You know, some of the things may change uh, circumstantially. But, but the principles remain the same. But let's face it, we're, we're up against this, uh, what we call this woke culture, right? And the progressive crazies that are out there. You know, I asked the question, am I crazy? And, and quite honestly, we all must be because the asylums are seemingly, seemingly empty. You know, the crazies are walking the street. Not only that, they're, they're sitting in office and creating the policies. So how do we engage that? You know, how do we bring common sense back into the public discourse? And so that's what I try to do is bring out those underlying principles and help kind of arm people with a little bit of common sense so that they can engage this culture war because let's face it, it's a cultural war to the death right now, uh, especially when you consider cancel culture and all those things of that nature. They're really coming after us. Yeah, I like a lot of the way the, the chapters, if you can call them that, are written. Uh, Chad, explain to the people your problem with Peloton bikes, please. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of things that, that are there, but it's, it's, and it's not a problem per se. It's just this culture that we've embraced of, uh, like, you know, you don't have to get out anymore. You don't have to breathe fresh air. You don't have to do anything. You know, the world has been brought to us, right? It's virtual. And, and like, you know, you, you pay like what? $3,000, $4,000 for this bike to enter into this virtual world, right? I mean, you people, it's how much people pay for fitness. Like, I probably have like four gym memberships right now. I don't go to the gym. I don't like I don't do any of this stuff, but like we've been told that we don't even have to leave our house anymore. Uh, and so obviously with the pandemic thing and the quarantines and the shutdowns and the mandates that came along, that exacerbated the problem even more. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, whenever Facebook was down for seven or eight hours uh, on <laughs> you know that one particular Monday, I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and see human beings. Like I'm going to go visit with people. So I went into a store and I was like, man, people aren't even social anymore. They're so used to interacting with through the world with through a screen, right? And now you add in the masks that people wear everywhere, and so so people don't even know how to interact socially, have a conversation, uh, be be congenial, be kind. Uh, it's really weird. And so this whole phenomenon that we've entered into, where we relate to the world through a screen, is too fascinating. Yeah, it's become a point where sometimes people don't even realize that uh, you can't even see each other's face. You go to smile or something at somebody, and it's just your eyebrows moving, and you're just like, I can't tell what this person's saying. Uh, something, <laughs> yeah. I saw, something I saw you talk about with Colin Kaepernick, and this hits me very close to home as a football fan and as a person who doesn't like liars. Um, his Netflix documentary, among other things, compares the NFL draft to slavery. 
um, which is fantastic, of course. And I want to show some of the truly moronic imagery he put in there, and I want to get your thoughts. So can we go ahead and play that, please? What they don't want you to understand is what's being established is a power dynamic. Before they put you on the field, teams poke, pride, and examine you, searching for any defect that might affect your performance. No boundary respected, no dignity left intact. I don't even know where to begin with that. Chad, what's your initial reaction to this? Well, first of all, they, they kind of take for granted that white people uh, and Samoan people and, and I, you know, I guess there's maybe some Asian players out there somewhere. I don't know. But, you know, there, it's not a race-specific sport. You know, the league minimum in salary, I think, is about $480,000 annually. Uh, so it's not like these people are being bought and sold and mistreated. You know, the NFL and professional sports in particular is a, is a, is a, they invest a lot of money. They invest a lot of money to, to you know, make their teams competitive. Uh, to compare it to slavery is, is asinine for one. The hypocrisy of it is just, it just absolutely ravages the mind. Uh, and, and makes you think that I must really be crazy or stupid to even to absorb this pablum. You know, here's a guy, Colin Kaepernick. Somebody sent me a message on Twitter the other day and said, what's your problem with Kaepernick? They said, you know, he was fighting police brutality. I was like, okay, if you believe that Colin Kaepernick was only about fighting police brutality, I got a bridge. Uh, this guy who made, you know, what, $20 million off of Nike, you know, he markets a pair of shoes that are like $125 a pair. Who in the world is going out and buying those Nike shoes? It's certainly not impoverished inner city kids uh, that, you know, according to him, have the highest uh, chance of being abused and, and brutalized by the police. Uh, no, it, this is a money thing, right? This is when you this is when you elevate victimhood to a place of prominence, almost to deifying it, and and it makes money with the victimhood. You know, I keep telling, reminding people, I said. If you don't really have pain, and we don't have a lot of pain, I mean, people go through personal struggles and they have their certain journey. If we don't have a lot of pain in a very comfortable 21st century America, so you have to manufacture that pain and oppression and persecution. And that's exactly what he's profiting off of. He is made, he's creating a persecution that doesn't exist. I mean, to compare these multi million dollar athletes, their multi million dollar endorsements, uh, the, the, the lavish lifestyle they lead just by simply being able to throw and catch a ball uh, with slavery in, in you know 19th century America is absolute insanity. Hence the reason I wrote a book about that. The problem I see with a lot of it is people act as if Kaepernick didn't make an, like an actual statement when he started this a few years ago about what he meant. People try to make excuses for his, his kneeling when he literally said it's because of oppression from the government through the police on 
people of color, as he puts it. And then he came out with his pig socks and his communist t-shirts, and he didn't really make any other statements after that. He begged to be on football teams. They tried to get him on. Jay-Z tried to get him on a team, and he scoffed them off. He changed his practice, if you remember. He was supposed to do it in front of scouts. Then he changed the location to a high school last minute. It's all a show for him. Do you think anybody is getting their minds changed by Colin Kaepernick? Are they saying, hmm, maybe, maybe this is slavery in the NFL combine. Maybe the jumping thing is a form of slavery. You know, um, I'll, I'll tell you whose mind it influences. It's the people out there, specifically the ones that I've witnessed, who take part in, say, like BLM parades or protests. It's, you know, I was, I was uh, in one city uh, last year and a BLM protest was happening. They marched several hundred people marched down the street. I think I saw two black people the entire thing. Out of the hundred, I think I saw two black people total. These are people that, that people, for the people with a lot of white guilt. Like, they feel this need to flagellate themselves, to make up for the sins and scars of America. You know, when you have this idea that America wasn't founded with the Declaration of Independence in 1776, but when the first slave or indentured servant stepped off the boat in Jamestown, Virginia, uh, this is the insanity and the revisionist of history having a heyday with this, creating this sense of victimhood that continues to promote this kind of nonsense. And so, again, to the degree that you can elevate your perceived sense of manufactured oppression, you can make money off of that. With Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, they've done this thing for generations now uh, with no end in sight. Various other lawmakers like Tory Bush, um, you know, oh, there's so that they put all of this to appear victimized. They're not victimized. Colin Kaepernick is the least of anyone. I mean, you want to talk about winning the lottery in life. You know, not only could be born, but his black parents didn't want him. So a white family adopts him, raises him up, gives him a great education, gives him all the opportunities. He winds up in the NFL. He's a percentage of a percentage. Percentage. I mean, he won the lottery in life. This man's not oppressed at all. You want to use your platform to speak out against oppression and injustice. I'm for that. But that's not simply what Colin Kaepernick's about. And anybody with half a brain knows that. Another thing that happened at a football uh, field I want to transition to that I saw on your Twitter, actually. And so I wanted to ask you about it. This Vermont high school had a drag show at a halftime uh, event, a halftime show, drag show, I guess, during a high school football game. Raises a lot of questions for me. Uh, let's go ahead and show everybody what we're talking about. If they haven't seen it, please, producer. A first of its kind halftime show for the Burlington High School homecoming football game. A drag ball hosted by the Gay Street Alliance Club. To include the LGBTQ community um, in a sport that has traditionally been very masculine, it's really good for us to be able to add um, kind of a gender-bending aspect to that. BHS students, along with students from South Burlington and Winooski, creating their own persona. That first guy looked like Vladimir Putin. I don't know if anybody noticed that. But uh, Chad, to, to ask both sides here, Children or teenagers showing their sides of themselves, expressing themselves, or inappropriate and over-sexualized? What's your take? Well, we definitely live in a society today and a culture which is hyper-sexualizing our children. We're seeing that. I always encourage people, if you have any opportunity whatsoever, if you can't do it right now, at least plan pull your kids out of the public school system. They are indoctrinating uh, brainwashing institutions that are after the minds and hearts of your children. You know, Hitler said, give them to me when they are done, I will have them forever. Uh, and we see that happening in this humanistic, Julian man system of 
socialist uh, education here. Now we're hyper-sexualizing everything. Uh, and, and, you know, there's the obvious, pro obvious problems with having a drag show at a halftime uh, high school football game. But my thing is, look, it, you know, for the gay community out there, and I'm not going to speak for them, but I, I ask a legitimate question. Does this, does this truly represent the LGBTQ whatever uh, community that's out there by having a flamboyant deal? I mean, this isn't a pride parade in Best Hollywood, California. This is a high school in Vermont, right? The, the community of LGBTQ. I don't think that it does. I think, by and large, this is representative. So to me, it's a, it's more objectifying. It's almost like saying, you know what we're going to do? We're going to celebrate femininity, so we're just going to make everybody, all the girls are going to wear bikinis and dress up like Victoria's Secret models, and we're going to trot them out there. So we're going to say, this is this is women. Sorry, women. To me, that's objectifying women, right? And I think it's the same way with, with you know, the gay, trans, lesbian, bi community, whatever. You know, this big, long list, alphabet people, as I like to call it. You know, we, we want to keep doing this. But in my in my opinion, it's not only hypersexualizing children and exposing them to things that are very, very dangerous, just like the other day in Orange County, California, or sorry, in uh, Orange, uh, Florida. You know, they took a group of elementary schools, and they've done this apparently for the last 10 years, to a gay bar, gay restaurant uh, as a civics lesson. You know, that's their field trip. This kind of stuff doesn't make sense to me. And uh, parents who approve of it, you know, really should have their head examined because it's going to lead down a path to a conclusion that you're really not going to like when it comes <laughs> to fruition. Yeah, my opinion is that the idea, what they're dancing around here is that drag shows are inherently sexual. And that's what I want to say, which you sort of mentioned, that if you had a bunch of teenage girls in high school doing a twerking contest on the field, I'm pretty sure the parents would have a problem with that. But it's like, it's because it's boys and they're LGBTQ plus 2AA star asterisks, it's supposed to be fine. And what I wanted to ask you was the men, they show the coach there. He says, he's it's great. We've got allyship and all this stuff. What do you think? is the motivating factor for adults, assumingly at least 40-year-old plus, to willingly go against their inherent logic and indoctrinate yourself willingly into this sort of doctrine? Well, this is what happens when the woke mob takes over, and it's almost like you're collecting brownie points. You know, you know, being woke and, and a social justice warrior, it's not like you're collecting social currency that you can spend at any time because you're showing how open you are to and, and how open-minded, you know, you're so open-minded that your brains are falling out. Look, we had uh, <laughs> Hazard, Kentucky the other day. Uh, Kentucky, of all places, they had uh, boys who came out at a pep rally dressed like uh, females provocatively, and they were lap dancing on mm -hmm. the mayor and the teachers and the coaches. You know, this kind of thing, it, look, heads are going to roll over that, it, but you wonder how much of this stuff is going on out there that's not being exposed by the media. They're not pointing it out. It's, it's very dangerous how we're playing with this. You know, the prefrontal cortex of a teenager is not developed, and it's not until about the age of 25. You know, as, as the late, great LaRuck Lepaw used to say, their heads are full of mush, right? So we've got to be careful with what we're allowing into the minds and hearts of the next generation. We know that the woke mob wants to do this. They want to. They want to take over a whole generation, uh, the norm, because they're attacking the, the, the paradigm 
that is the greater uh, worldview that's out there. Look, you know, by and large, people are going to be uh, statistically heterosexual. They're going to be statistically traditional in their values in many ways. And, and they, you know, they're going to base, you know, their belief system off of things in a way that they're raised. They're really trying to destroy our value system that's out there. And I tell people all the time, I'm a white heterosexual Christian male that burns up the ozone with a diesel truck, has a dog in the back seat, most of the wear a cowboy hat. So to the left and the progressives, I'm public enemy number one. I'm the problem if you go on Twitter and read anything on my profile. So to that, I say, let's remain unapologetic. Hold on to your values. You know, we saw what happened in the election yesterday in Virginia. You know, people are tired of radicalism being crammed down their throat. They really are sick of it. And Americans, I believe, are truly starting to wake up to the fight the nonsense. Yeah, and you mentioned Virginia. I wanted to talk about that big uh, elections this week. And of course, Youngkin won his race up against what I see is some really weird and gross tactics. So I want to show people the little thing the Lincoln Project did, this uh, Democrat fundraising group where they staged basically a bunch of white supremacists supporting the now governor. Can we play that? Election day is Tuesday. All eyes are on the tight Virginia governor's race. And in the 11th hour, the Lincoln Project added tiki torches to the mix. But will they burn the candidate they were trying to help? On Friday, the anti-Trump group, the Lincoln Project, sent people holding tiki torches to a campaign event for the Republican candidate, Glenn Youngkin. The men reportedly approached Youngkin's bus saying, we're all in for Glenn. In a statement, the Lincoln Project said today's demonstration was our way of reminding Virginians what happened in Charlottesville four years ago, the Republican Party's embrace of those values and Glenn Youngkin's failure to condemn it, if he will denounce Trump's assertion that the Charlottesville rioters possessed very fine qualities, will withdraw the tiki torches. Until then, we'll be back. McAuliffe's campaign condemned the stunt. And the Virginia showed up at a Yunkin event posing as Charlottesville po protesters, uh, a group you're with, the Lincoln Project, owned that it was them, that they posed this way because they wanted people to remember. Uh, you're getting crushed by people on the right uh, as a dirty tactic. Do you stand behind what was done, and is that being what you guys say you oppose? Um, no. Listen, every day uh, I hear people pleading with the Lincoln Project to help show Democrats how to win, how to play hardball. Um, you know, this is an example. The, the question here is, it's not about some guys who showed up at a rally. It's why hasn't Glenn Youngkin denounced Donald Trump for saying that there were good people on both sides? So we get caught staging white supremacists and saying we're all in for Youngkin. They get caught showing that it's operatives who work for that uh, Democratic Party there in Virginia. No apology. No, we're sorry. We shouldn't have done that. It's why hasn't Trump denounced this or why hasn't he denounced Trump saying something in 2017, which isn't actually what he said. If you have the Internet, you can go check. But he needs to denounce this thing that everybody knows is a lie anyways. Chad, is there going to be any uh, Democrat organization who actually has some accountability for their losses or anything that people seem to disagree with, which in Virginia was stuff like critical race theory, uh, transgenders in, in girls' bathrooms, there was a rape case there. Is there going to be any accountability coming in anytime soon? You know, I'm... Fortunately, they keep doubling down. I, first, let me just also say, it's interesting to me that you cast a black kid as a white supremacist in that little stage. <laughs> uh, always fascinating. He's internalized it. I mean, you know, I guess so. Uh, you know, it's like uh, Clayton Bigsby, you know, the old Dave Chappelle. <laughs> yeah. 
NBA member, but he was blind and didn't know he was black, right? Uh, it's kind of funny when they do stuff like that, but it's not funny. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting that you have MSNBC last night in the, in the race as the, as the election results were coming out and the ballots were coming in. Um, they were, uh, you know, they still wanted to bring up the fact that they, they said, well, you know, remember the fact that Donald Trump called Mexicans, you know, racists, or, or I'm sorry, murderers and rapists. And it's like, that's not what he said. He was talking about MS-13 gang members. And, you know, they portray this stuff because the further away from it you get, the more you can mm. continue that narrative, like saying, um, uh, you know, there were good people on both sides. If you read the full context of what Donald Trump said in that press conference, it's not what he was saying. you got to take it all in there. And so, you know, the whole thing, you know, a text without a context is a, is a pretext, right? And you're going to come to it with your own preconceived notion. And, and the further you get away from an event, you can just keep spinning that line. People don't really remember. It's kind of hazy. It's like, yeah, you know, I kind of do remember Trump saying something like that. And so you can keep spinning this narrative way out of control. That's why I keep encouraging people, not only be unapologetic, but arm yourself with truth and common sense. Because when you build a house of cards on a bad fault line, and philosophically and logically, uh, there's nothing really holding their argument and narrative up. A little breath of common sense sometimes causes that thing to tumble and fall in on itself. And we see over and over again, like uh, Terry McAuliffe's candidacy, it, 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 you, give it, you, know, you give it enough room and it will wreck itself. Yeah, for sure. Last question here, Chad. What do you think lessons, what do you think, what kind of lessons can they take from this election victory? You saw um, even the uh, the attorney general victory and a few other ones, a mayoral ship in upstate New York. What kind of lessons can conservatives or Republicans or the lot take from this election that just happened, which was seemingly coming out of nowhere? You know they're in trouble when they bring Obama out to campaign, so maybe they knew something was coming. But what kind of takeaways can they take from a, a victory like this if you're a conservative party? Well, there, there's two right off the top of my head. One, as I alluded to earlier, Americans, conservatives, patriots, they're waking up and they're seeing uh, that, uh, one, you don't mess with our kids. You know, when Merrick Garland calls parents domestic terrorists, uh, when this loud rapist situation happens, uh, you, know, you don't mess with our kids, these school boards, these city councils, all these things. Uh, you poke that bear long enough, you realize the silent majority doesn't stay silent for long. The other thing that I remind people from this just in the last few hours uh, since this election now is that the establishment Republican Party, in my opinion, is dead. It's dead. We need to stop trying to wake that beast up. It's dead. Uh, it's just as bad as the Democrat Party. Uh, forget the extremists. I'm talking about the establishment. The establishment is dead. We're seeing people that are spending less money to get elected. We're seeing people who are telling the truth being honest, not pandering to political party lines, and they're winning elections because they're patriots. And they're coming out here, they believe in getting the government out of our life and uh, letting people live and be free. And people are, they're waking up to that message. And the spirit of uh, 1776 is quite alive in America today. I truly believe that. As my friend Matt Brevner told me today, you can't eat social justice, you can't eat rainbows and stuff like that. It doesn't put food on the table. Chad Prather, the Chad Prather Show, Blaze TV, Am I Crazy, the book. It's hilarious, Chad. This format, I think it's it's kind of revolutionary. I'm, I enjoy it. It's just like better than tweets on paper. I don't know. It's something about it that I like. Thanks a lot for joining me. Uh, have a great time down there. I know that you're doing the right thing. I like your content. Keep up the good work, please. Thanks for coming on. 
Thanks, brother. 